The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Good, Father. Thanks for being here tonight. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you. Yep. Father, we have a lot of emails, as usual, to get into, and I wanted to start with one from a newer viewer who just uh, came across our channel, mm -hmm. and he would like to have you warn the parents and children in your parish about the evils of the Marvel Comics. So he says, in the 1980s, Marvel Comics had a comic book titled The Son of Satan, and they also had another one titled The Daughter of Satan. That should say all that is needed to be said about this evil company. Spider-Man makes a satanic hand sign when he shoots webs out of his hands. The original Spider-Man used to make his hands into a fist to shoot webs, but they conveniently changed that to a known satanic hand sign. The concept of these superheroes is a well-known thought process among Satanists and the New World Order. They believe that we need to combine humans with machines and computers, as well as animals. That's a purely satanic thought. Yet these superheroes are everywhere. Doctor Strange, a popular comic book, was made into a blatant movie, or rather, uh, was made into a popular movie, and it's blatantly satanic or occultic. Uh, so, Father, what is your take on all of this? This Marvel comics being uh, satanic, essentially, very evil. Well, Marvel Comics and uh, perhaps not only Marvel Comics uh, are pushing the New World Order agenda and the occultic line. I mean, they've, they've introduced a lot of these uh, politically correct, grossly immoral social movements and, uh, uh, you know, involving homosexuality and, and just all, unfortunately all manner of perversion, it seems. Um, the costuming was, has been very provocative for quite some time. So uh, it seems that the, the, the entire comic book industry, so to speak, um, has, has really appealed to um, what is really um, disordered in human nature for quite some time now, right? Now the, the desire of human beings to want superpowers is uh, another manifestation of the fact that they have souls. Um, our Lord says that the blessed shall live like the angels in heaven. Well, the very fact is because of our souls, we are spiritual beings, we, we know that uh, the soul is capable of much more than the body allows it to do, right? And uh, as Father, as Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson described the death of Olive, I guess it was, in The Lord of the World, the walls of her existence fell away and then she knew, describing, of course, the liberation of the soul uh, from mortal, the mortal body. Um, but um, so we, we as human beings, 
we realize we have a certain kinship with the angels and the idea of their powers. Uh, even if we don't believe in angels, even for those who don't believe in God, you know, there's still there's this, there's something in us that wants these powers beyond our own human natures. And the reason we can long for those is because we do have more immortal souls and spiritual souls. Um, we have something in common with the angels. Um, but also not only that, we have a fallen nature that is descended from Adam and Eve, who are created in the profession of human nature and given the preternatural gifts. And so again, it's like we almost have a homesickness for, for uh, that original condition in which God created humanity. You know, uh, if we were to stand next to Adam or Eve, we might find it hard to imagine that we were of the almost you know the same nature because they were so superior in their perfection of their nature, and we are fallen. We are very crippled, uh, and that not only uh, that crippling effect of original sin not only affects the, the soul, it affects the body too. <clears throat> and so again, we have a certain longing to, to be like the angels, as it were, with the powers of the angels, as the blessed certainly will have in heaven. Um, but unfortunately, there's a fallen angel named Lucifer. <clears throat> and so he wants us to desire to be like him. And that is uh, these, these powers that we crave, uh, can be craved for pride's sake and can be craved for uh, all manner of evil as well. And um, this is where it's been turning now. It's been turning in that direction for some time. Uh, I think the original like Superman idea was, you know, fighting for truth, justice in the American way was considered very, very wholesome, right? But uh, how soon that began to turn darker and darker and darker now. So that you almost see the powers of hell unleashed in this, right? And so we shouldn't be surprised that Satan would try to use this medium for influence, right? He's used so many other media to establish his influence. And this is the only way the devil can pretend to be omnipresent, to be omnipotent. He has to, in a sense, uh, put symbols of himself everywhere. <coughs> So that we, everywhere we look, we see something reminding us of his presence there, like Big Brother, you know, always has to be watching, and he always has to make his presence known. You know? And uh, the devil is a creature. He cannot be omnipresent as God is omnipresent. So we can only mimic that. Uh, the devil is only a creature, so he can't be omnipotent as God is truly omnipotent. But the devil has to mimic that in a kind of mockery of God and to impress us. And so this is one of the avenues he's using now to, to bring these ideas, these occultic ideas into the minds of the children. I mean, it is true. Uh, not that I was a great uh, devotee of Spider-Man or anything of the kind, but uh, I do recall, and I think you, I can verify that, that when he was first... Uh, operating right launching the web from a closed hand now it's the uh the uh mano cornuto right where, where you, you know i that actually is not a bad sign right in sign language right why don't you explain that Tom? because you're a master of 
sign language. Something like that. Well, and American uh, American sign language. You're professional. Right. Yeah. Um, It's the combination, actually, of the letter I, the letter L, and the letter Y for I love you. And so they put them all together, and Mm -hmm. it looks like that. So So that's a sign for I love you. For I love you, yeah. That's in American sign language. That's how you would say it. I love you. Okay. Yeah. And uh, something about uh, an airplane too. Yeah, that, that can also be the sign for uh, for airplane. Um, mm-hmm. Airport is airplane area, so you mm-hmm. use it for that. It can also be used as what they call a classifier to mm-hmm. um, essentially show the movement of an airplane. So if you're mm-hmm. actually showing the action of an airplane taking off mm-hmm. or um, you know doing any any kind of maneuvering in the air, mm-hmm. you would show it with that. So you would use that. Mm-hmm. Hand sign right there, that hand shape, the I L Y, the I love you. So there are shape. legitimate uses for that, mm-hmm. and so that, that shouldn't surprise us, because the different shapes we can form with our hands can, you know, apply to any number of things. Right. Unfortunately, the horned hand, <laughs> right, uh, showing the devil's horns and, and the, implying the goat's head, uh, can also be used to signify something evil and satanic. And uh, the devil wants, again, even legitimate signs. He wants to turn even legitimate signs into something foul, base, and even, as they say, uh, evil and satanic. So no wonder he would try to co-opt a sign that says, I love you, (laughs) to make it, you know, uh, give it the the sense of the devil. You know, we're giving the devil's sign. And and, uh, that's perverted, you know, because that's the devil's business. I mean, that's what he does. He's, he's a professional perverter. That's all he does. That's all that matters to him. And he doesn't have to worry about time because he's got more than all the time in the world. Um, and he can learn as a creature. And so he refines his methods. And what he's trying to do is to pervert all the signs so that everything now speaks of him. Right? Um, and so when we see these things appearing in the Marvel comics and we see the hand of uh, a Spider-Man launching the web, uh, or the, uh, what are we going to call it? Um, you know, <clears throat> those who, who see that, they understand the significance of it. Um, also, there are those um, who specialize in following the occult in the popular media and the signs of the occult. And there's no question, but that there are those who are into the occult who are using that sign uh, to convey their, what's in their minds, and it's not good. So one has to be careful about that. One also has to be careful, though, about assuming that every time, every time somebody puts his hand in his pocket, he's a, that shows he's a mason, right? <laughs> because there are people who, you know, you, you, on a cold day, you can even be just warming your hand and, and put it inside your coat. And you, and you can't, you know, you're not broadcasting to the world that I'm a 33rd degree <laughs> Scottish Rite Mason and I'm plotting the, down, plotting the downfall of Christianity or Christendom. <laughs> So we have to be very careful about that because we can really go overboard. And when we do that, you know, here's what we're doing. We're actually giving the devil his way. You know, <clears throat> if somebody is, is very innocently uh, trying to warm, you know, his hand or whatever like that, and uh, we immediately say, ah, oh, you know, there's the evil sign there. If somebody's crossing his fingers. Oh, there's the evil sign. This is something satanic. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants us to, to read into all of these things all the time. Something satanic. And so there's nothing innocent left anywhere uh, that anybody can do with his hands. You know, I can't, so I couldn't even fold my hands without sending somebody a message. Oh my goodness, look at that as an occult sign. Well, no wonder. I mean, Satan is trying to co opt these signs and uh, make everything, it's like he wants everything to 
trigger in our minds something impure. So that everywhere we look, it's a, it's, a, it's a temptation. Everywhere we look, it's an occasion of sin. That's what he wants to do. And you can do the same thing with hand gestures too. <clears throat> so we have to be careful to avoid uh, using such, you know, well-known, notorious hand gestures that send, um, what shall we say, ordinary people the wrong message. But we also have to avoid assuming or presuming that anybody who you know, does something otherwise very innocent is necessarily signaling something evil, unless there are other other indications that kind of reinforce that and, and, and give some kind of evidence that they're using it badly. Right. We have to be careful about that. I do agree with this gentleman, though, that uh, we have to avoid these, these um, media, and certainly Marvel Comics is, is among them, uh, that are being uh, used as a tool for corruption and perversion. And, uh, you know, that, that has to do not only with the print media, but also the digital media in, in uh, video games and all the rest. We just, we just have to absolutely reject these things, not allow them in our lives and not allow them in our children's lives. Okay, then next email, Father, uh, this viewer has a question concerning essential oils. He says, I, I tried to find natural remedies for my family's ailments, but I have become confused about the church's teachings about some of these remedies. I have been using essential oils to strengthen our immune systems and also for the relief of common aches and pains. It seems, however, that certain companies promote the emotional benefits of these oils, and that's where I'm confused on where to draw the line. They claim that some oils can be calming, but they also say that some oils can help you to feel more forgiving of people. So I'm not sure what is acceptable. Well, is it true that these oils, you know, do provide these benefits? And uh, I think it's very likely, yes. I mean, <laughs> we use aromatherapy, you know, and I, I don't know that, uh, you know, what the benefits of that might be. But... Uh, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that the, the senses of the body can can uh, trigger not only memories, but they can even trigger certain moods, right? And uh, there's, you know, so I just believe that there's something to these things. And the oils can be used like salves, and they have been used for, you know, centuries and centuries, millennia as salves. And the chemicals, uh, to do affect us, you know. I mean, just just recently now, they're they're uh, working on uh, uh, medical researchers are working on the connection between what they call gut bacteria and depression. And they're finding a real connection between the, actually the depletion of certain uh, gut bacteria and uh, the incidence of depression in, in, in the people's lives. And uh, it it makes sense, really. Although they might be surprised to find a connection, I mean these bacteria are in us for a reason, right? And uh, they're all part of God's design, which is infinitely uh, beautiful, but also astoundingly complex, right? And uh, certainly not the result of evolution. And uh, to say that uh, there are certain gut bacteria that are within us to help our human physical organism function and remain healthy uh, is kind of, a, you know, of course, you know, you take that as, a, as understood. The fact that 
they're there to produce something uh, beneficial. And when they don't, when they're not there, or when they're not producing that something beneficial, that whatever it is, I mean, there are chemicals involved with this that go uh, through the bloodstream and therefore to the brain and can have an effect there. So, I mean, it's very possible that these bacteria uh, that are there that shouldn't be are producing something that is sort of toxic to the brain. Um, there it might be that there are certain bacteria that should be there that have been destroyed by antibiotics or whatever. And antibiotics, we know, do uh, often wipe out, wipe, out, wipe out the flora, a lot of the flora that is necessary. Uh, people who take antibiotics are warned, you know, how this is going to affect their overall system now. And um, including their digestive system, right? gastrointestinal system. And so uh, if there's some bacteria that belongs in the stomach and it's not there, but it is needed and it is not producing, let's say, chemicals that need to be in the blood for the overall good of the person, then you'd expect there to be some consequences for that. You know? Whether it's depression or not, I, I can't tell. But I just think the mechanism itself makes sense from uh, a scientific point of, point of view, such as I and my limited uh, scientific knowledge can, can see. I'm just saying it makes, it makes perfect sense. So the fact that these oils might uh, have such an effect on the body, I mean, we use the holy oils, they're blessed. Uh, by God to do wonderful things and even uh, through the, the blessing of God can and the, the right of extreme unction can actually you know, bring a person who's ill back to health but certainly fortify the body against illness and against the damage of in, uh, injury. So the church has known the idea of using uh, like healing oils for a long time. Look at the Good Samaritan. Our Lord talked about the Good Samaritan pouring pouring wine and oil, wine to uh, as an antiseptic, and oil as a salve. And the wounds of the poor man who was beaten had to and left to die. So um, you know this is this is nothing new. The the problem here though is that these healing oils are all too often associated by some people anyway, with some occult beliefs or occult practices and tie them with, well, sort of like yoga, you know, with meditations um, uh, that certainly are not Christian and not consonant with, with, with Christian Catholic beliefs. Um, and martial arts, you know, also from the East, um, tied to Eastern mystical religion type thing involving some sort of force or something with the universe and all that other stuff, you know, pantheism, a pantheistic view. And uh, insofar as, as these things involve the body, as we mentioned in a recent show, um, they can be perfectly good exercise and all the rest. Insofar as we try, uh, as we associate them with some occultic beliefs, they are not, that, that poisons them. Uh, the same can happen with these essential oils. <clears throat> so if somebody is marketing, as, marketing essential oils uh, in connection with some Eastern mystical religious um, belief you know, system, then one should avoid them entirely. 
Uh, one might even say, well, I, I, I don't know about the essential oils I'm buying because maybe they're somehow, you know, going through some voodoo ceremony <laughs> somewhere and there is something occult connected with them. Well, it is true that evil spirits can infest, um, you know, material things, right? And so the ritual, the traditional ritual of the church actually addresses that very question. I've had that come to my attention, actually, in some rather interesting ways, also, having to uh, perform the exorcisms of places and also dealing with uh, what appeared to be a kind of diabolical infestation of things, of objects. Um, so, um, you know, one has to be very careful about that. It can't happen. But if one uh, is, is just using, honest to goodness, essential oils that are nothing but oils and using them for some health benefits, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. This same viewer has another question along the, the same lines, Father. She says, another concept I have encountered is Ayurveda, I believe is how you pronounce it, A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A. She says, I like to drink herbal tea, but many of the tea companies are starting to claim that their herbal teas follow this Ayurvedic medicine. I'm confused because they seem to be normal ingredients that the company claims will help with inflammation and other physical ailments. So I don't know if it's okay to drink these teas. Oh, yeah, and so far they're just teas and they're chemicals, and they have a beneficial effect on the body. There's nothing wrong with them. But again, you know, all too often the, the Eastern religions are tied in with some kind of mystical beliefs. And, um, you know, you, you, I, I'm sure that none of our Catholic people want to be ingesting, um, uh, ingesting anything that has sort of uh, been through some sort of occultic ceremony, if that's, if that's what's happening there. So if they're associating these, the Ayurvedic, um, religious beliefs associated with some sort of mystical cures or something, yeah, we would definitely want to avoid them. Um, but what should one do? I mean, if one finds, yes, this is of benefit to me, my health, but I don't like the connections and I'm kind of suspicious about this, well, get some holy water, right? <laughs> Pray the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel and bless it with holy water to just knock out... <laughs> whatever evil influences there might be there. And the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel is a prayer of exorcism, as you know. And the church tells us she wants us to pray that. In fact, that, the church put that prayer out of all of our lips at the end of every low mass for all those years, right? Um, so uh, the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. So you don't have to be an ordained exorcist. In fact, the Nova Sordo doesn't even ordain exorcists anymore. Uh, you don't have to be an ordained exorcist to pray the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, invoke the power of our Lord and uh, and the Catholic, the true Catholic Church against the power of Satan. I would just warn you this much, though. Uh, in sacred scripture, in the Acts of the Apostles, we read about uh, certain ne'er-do-wells who thought that they would dabble in exorcism, <clears throat> even though they were not the most upright individuals, and the devil just turned on them. You know, they were using the name of Christ and might have even been invoking the name of Peter and Saint, Saint Peter and Saint Paul, and the 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 devil that was uh, possessing the individual turned on the would-be exorcist and said, <clears throat> "Christ, I I know, and Peter I recognize, but you, who are you?" And he he set upon them and really worked them over 
pretty badly. <laughs> so uh, I would suggest that before you decide to start giving, you know, telling the devil uh, what to do <clears throat> and trying to get rid of him, the first thing you have to do is make a good confession. Be in the state of grace, okay? <clears throat> because uh, if you want to drive any satanic influence out of the tea leaves that you want to brew <laughs> or the essential oils you want to apply, uh, you better make sure you're doing it with a pure heart and you haven't given the devil power over your own heart as you're trying over your own soul, even as you're trying to, to remove his influence from a tea bag or, you know, a bottle of oil. Sure. I guess you catch my drift. Right? <laughs> I do. So just yes, make sure you're in the state of grace and you're motivated by love for God. Yes, right. Uh, well, Father, on a recent program, we spoke of Jansenism uh, briefly, and we had an, an interested viewer who sent a follow-up question to that. She says, I'm interested in hearing more about this aspect of Jansenism. So she asked, Father, could you please address the rigorism and scrupulosity that can be associated with Jansenism, for example, not receiving Holy Communion very often, and also the idea that some people are just doomed, they're just damned, predestined. Right. Well, that might be more Calvinism, right? Uh, an extreme form of Jansenism. Um, well, again, Jansenius was a Catholic bishop, right? And uh, what he wrote, he wrote subject to the judgment of the church. So he seemed to have been sincere about it. He wrote the Augustinus, right? But the church did find errors, severe errors, even heresies in his writings, and did condemn them. Those who adhered to his Jansenist writings have been causing trouble ever since in the church and in the world, uh, attacking the church, uh, going into schism, um, and unfortunately... Um, you know, there there are even lines of old Catholics and old Ca and, 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 and old Roman Catholics, as they call themselves, and so on, who actually have taken their rise from the Jansenist heretics, schismatics, and one has to be aware of them because sometimes they're purporting to offer the traditional mass and luring people in uh, to their schism and even their heresy. You know, um, Jansenism and um, and Lutheranism go together in a certain way. Because remember, Lutheran's idea was, Luther's idea was, look, we can't help but sin. Our human nature is so completely corrupted that we're not capable of doing anything out of love, really out of love for God. It's all out of self-love, even our desire to save our souls and to avoid hell. And so, um, and also there are just temptations that are so severe, we're going to fall. And it's our pride that tells us we can resist. And so Luther's advice was sin mightily, but believe more mightily that we're not saved by anything we, you know, by doing anything or not doing anything, uh, that our salvation doesn't depend upon anything we do. And our salvation doesn't depend upon not doing evil. In fact, there were those like Rasputin who, act, who actually went so far as to teach that sin saves because it, it humiliates us and casts us purely on the mercy of God. So sin can be really good for you. Um, this, this, and again, has a relationship with the old Gnosticism. It says that we are uh, the good gods fragmented and imprisoned in this world, and the only way to escape is by sinning against the evil God who created the world. And again, the idea that sin saves. You, know? this, that you couldn't find a more satanic message than that, right? 
How does that, how does that in any way survive our Lord's own words? Be ye perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. <clears throat> and he who, you know, he, blessed is he who hears the word of God and keeps it and follows it, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I command of you? Uh, going forth into the whole world, preach the gospel to all creatures, baptizing them and teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. All of these things of our Lord make it very clear that we have, we have to live a certain way. We have to follow the commandments of the new law. And uh, in the Old Testament, uh, rather in, in his epistles, St. Paul was not saying, as Luther wants us to believe, that Christ has released us from any law and made it just necessary for us to believe, believe in his death for us, accept it, and then we're automatically saved at that moment forever, uh, no matter what we do. That's not what St. Paul said. He, he talks about the law, the law. He's writing to the Jewish people, and he's saying, following the law will not save you. The law is their law, the law of the Old Testament. So anyway, sorry to digress there, Tom, but I think it's very important to put all of this in, in context here, that Jansenism, it, it, Jansenism is very much a part of that whole, whole belief system that is totally contrary to the teaching of the gospel. And, um, you know, the Synod of Pistoia was condemned and it was producing, uh, uh, you know, statements that we need a democratic church, a la Francis. As a matter of fact, the Synod of Pistoia of Jansenism fits perfectly into Francis's worldview. There we said it. We said the word Francis, okay? <laughs> and um, more than once. <clears throat> but Francis has the idea that having a happy, committed marriage that is free from any transgression is the ideal. But not everybody can live up to the ideal. Only very few can actually have the ideal. And so when we fall short, it's, it's, it's understandable, perfectly acceptable, because most people can't live up to the ideal. Most people are going to fall short. I, I and so we just have to live with that, except that God accepts it. He doesn't blame them for that. I think he even went so far as to say it would be weird if a couple did not, if a married couple did not fight. It would be weird. Right, if they, they argued yeah. or were totally faithful to each other all the yeah, time. I mean, weird. that is really strange, you know. <laughs> and uh, it makes you suspicious. What's wrong with them? You know, like, there's something wrong with that. So this is the modern mentality. This is the Francis mentality, you know. This is why you can give them Holy Communion, because they're doing the best they can, you know even living in open adultery. They can still be in a state of grace, and they can still be growing in virtue and saving their soul by doing this. I mean, Francis has come out and said as much. So, but, I mean, the Jansenists actually came out at the Synod of Pistoia and stated that there are certain temptations of sin, notably sins of impurity, that are so powerful that a human being, even with the help of God's grace, cannot, cannot resist them, that they have to. They're predetermined to fall into those sins. So the point is, you can say, okay, well, then they're doomed. They're going to go to hell because God says he's going to condemn, condemn those who commit these sins. So he set these people up in advance for damnation. But the other, but there's another equally legitimate conclusion to draw when you're drawing false conclusions from false principles, okay? And that is, well, if you can't help it, even with God's grace, even all your efforts don't succeed, and you're still... <clears throat> dragged into sin by the devil, the devil made me do it, it wasn't my choice, he did it, blame him, then you're not responsible. <clears throat> and if you're not responsible, then, you know, how could you be condemned for that? That means everybody who falls into these sins, because he couldn't help it, well, it's not his fault, he didn't commit a sin, he's not guilty of a sin, and so he'll be saved anyway, in spite of whatever sins he commits that he couldn't help. This is the mentality we're dealing with here.
when we're dealing with Jansenism. Oddly enough, during the French Revolution, the, the Jansenists were the lawyers. The, the lawyers involved were the Jansenists, and they were part of the, the Revolutionary Party trying to stir up all the trouble against the crown. And other rev revolutionary movements, too. You know, uh, Very often, Jansenists were behind them. So, uh, you know, we just have to realize how these errors have a way of morphing uh, slightly, not essentially, but accidentally putting on a different makeup, you know, a different costume and reappearing. But they all come down to the ancient Gnosticism and they're all going to kind of rise together and weave themselves together into this enormous crescendo that is going to produce Lord Maitreya, uh, the world teacher, whom we have every reason to believe is really the Antichrist, who is, is stated very bluntly, Lord Maitreya of the Theosophical schools, uh, is going to teach humanity that it is God. That's his mission, to teach humanity its divinity, right? And uh, I mean, you couldn't think of anything more satanic than that message, because that's the first message he gave to Eve in the garden, right? Defy God and you will be as God yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's the same old temptation, you know. Uh, I don't care whether they, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> no matter what technology they may have or what, how spiffy they may, they may, may uh, doctor it up, it's the same old temptation. Uh, they could call it as modern as they want or the modernist as they want. But it's not modern. It is modernist. It's the same thread of modernism throughout. And that is to say that ultimately it leads to the idea that I'm God. I'm my own God. That's right. All right. Father, last email here. This viewer would like to know if you have just any general guidelines concerning what type of music we should listen to. He says here that I definitely hate rap and hip-hop and new age heavy metal, but what about pop music? Should I avoid any kind of pop music at all? Uh, also, what about classic country? He says he has some uh, German heritage, and so he enjoys polka music. So what is your, your take on that? Um, he says here at the end, I, I also know that most classical music is acceptable as well as Gregorian chant. But Father, are those the only things that we can listen to, or do you have some kind of general guidelines as far as what type what types of music are acceptable? I do, but I don't know if uh, that would be helpful to this gentleman. I mean, just comment. Uh, it's it's not really a matter of like, uh, because there, there are people who really like rock music, and they'll admit it, but they also admit it's bad, even though they like it. Right? But I mean, somebody might say, I love the taste of Decon. Now, it's it's made the taste good because you want to induce something to digest it or to ingest it, but it's not good for you. Okay. So, um, uh, but they admit, yeah, it, it, I really like the taste of that stuff. People are always eating things that are good for them. Right. Uh, that's why we tend to expand <laughs> and uh, increase the gravitational field around ourselves. <laughs> something like that. Um, and so, um, people are smoking things that are good for them. Uh, consuming, you know, uh, things that aren't good for them and uh, listening to things that aren't good for them. That aren't good for the mind, not good for the soul. <clears throat> uh, generally speaking, you know, in music, you have different elements that go together to produce music. You have melody, 
You have melody. A melody is is, a, is the highest uh, element of instrumental music. Melody. It's more something intellectual. It's intellectually satisfying. Okay. You add harmony, and that too has a certain intellectual satisfaction to the mind, <clears throat> and uh, because it shows a certain order. Um, but it also has an emotional effect too. I mean, melody and the, these things can affect, but they, they don't just reach out and grab the emotions that they're actually intellectually satisfying things. So that's good. I mean, you want any music you listen to, <clears throat> to appeal to the best that is in you as a human being. And apart from your soul, uh, well, my, I can't say that because the intellect is the faculty, the highest faculty of the soul. And the will to love good is, again, the faculty of the soul. The two of these faculties are what, again, make us in the, in the image of God. You know? So when you have music that appeals to the intellect because of the beauty of its melody and its harmony, you have generally good music. But then you begin to descend as other elements become predominant, okay? Um, you know, the, the timbre of the instrument, too. I mean, a trumpet sounds different from a piano, sounds different from a flute because the overtones, you have, you have a different timbre. And again, the, the different instruments that have different tonal qualities that we distinguish very, very easily, you know, the brain. And, um, <clears throat> that all applies here, too. When you start introducing for, uh, uh, disharmony or discord in music, then you've got something that's anti-intellectual. You've got something disturbing. It's kind of emotionally distressing. And you're looking for resolution. And you find this discord in music to give it a kind of dynamic force that you're driving toward resolution. And when you come to the end and you have this beautiful chord that brings everything back into harmony again, it, it, there you have your resolution. You know, It's something that goes with you in the human mind. The stories we tell and so on, they, they all you know, evolve some kind of conflict, often the heroism, heroism of the, you know, overcoming all the conflict and triumph, the goodwill triumph, the order and the harmony are restored, you know. This is just part of the way we think, you know. We, we like that in the stories that we tell, we like that in the music we listen to, naturally speaking. When you start introducing the discord for discord's sake, though, and it's very jarring, it really disturbs a person and gets them upset. It can even bring out anger and fury, and you can use it against them to manipulate them. Uh, timbre also. Here I talked about the wrecking of harmony by discord. When you take the timbre of an instrument and you twist it and you, like adding the, uh, the, 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 the pedal, uh, to the guitar that introduces that uh, distortion. distortion pedal to the guitar, and it sounds like you're torturing a cat. You know, <laughs> this is very distressing. You're trying to evoke some kind of reaction within the person's listening, and if they get to the point where they enjoy that, you're doing something very bad to them, and they may they may say, "Well, I like this. I like this because it gets the adrenaline flowing and and so on." But you're still doing something to them. I mean, they're, they're adrenaline junkies who cannot live a normal life. They have to be doing something strange, perverted, dangerous in order to justify their own existence, in order to enjoy their lives. That's not normal for a human being to need that. 
You know, ordinary, you want somebody to apply his energies to accomplishing something good, not just being a, a frenetic uh, ball of nerves, you know, that needs the adrenaline to, to justify, to get through the day. <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, that's why people take drugs. But, you know, the music can have a similar effect on a person and the nervous system. So, uh, you know, you, you realize that you're descending down a bad path when you see the music feature these things more and more. And of course, <clears throat> you have the rhythm. And uh, <clears throat> the rhythm, yeah, it's there. It's even there in Gregorian chant. You know, you learn that and you learn the, the natural rhythm, but it's very subtle. It doesn't dominate. But when you get a music where the rhythm is dominant, you know, bam, 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 you're getting very primitive. And you know that being very primitive is not good. I mean, there are people who think that's the end all and the be all. This is what music really is, just smash, bang, you know, and so on. You get to rap, and that's this this cadence, you know, that keeps coming. It's almost hypnotic. And it's no wonder that they're not reciting, you know, prayers to rap music ordinarily, right? They're using foul, very foul language and saying very perverted things with it. It goes with this idea of this, um, this um, beat, this rhythm, what they say, you know, it's almost hypnotic, as they say. And no wonder that, you know, uh, primitive tribes have used this bam, 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 to, to induce states of mind, uh, such that people are actually, uh, you know, almost hypnotized by it. And uh, they, they couple that with the use of drugs. Um, <clears throat> now, please don't make any association, but it even happened at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. this past <laughs> uh, this past January 19th, uh, yeah. not making any connection whatsoever there. Nope, nope, no, drums have nothing to do with this. But um, <clears throat> but it's part of that, you know, the primitive idea of summoning spirits and, and inducing states of mind in people. You know? <clears throat> so, um, so, yeah, there are some very definite elements of music that can be almost scientifically measured as far as the effect they have on the nervous system. So, you know, we don't have to just say, I like this, so it must be good. Um, as I say, it gets back to the fact that we like things because of original sin. We like things that really are not necessarily very good. Sure. They can be very bad, in fact, um, and sinful. But, um, you know, if one asks, well, what about, <clears throat> what about pop music? Okay. I mean, rock music is all, is all based upon the syncopated rhythm. Uh, it's very simplistic. It's so simple-minded that, you know, they use the same three chords over and over and over and over again. I mean, you know, and then, then they repeat the words over and over again. Same words, you know. Look at the, um, um, there's, there's a song, I think, by the Rolling Stones, going, going wild, 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 going wild, 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 going wild, 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 wild tonight. I mean, this is very intellectual, you know. And, of course, the idea of it is just to make people go wild. You know? I mean, it's just inducing like a, like a temporary insanity. If it is temporary, we hope it's only temporary. Um, but it has, it's supposed, it has a message. And it's, in, it's inserting this message, it's injecting this message at a time when it also induces uh, an emotional state, a psychological state that makes it very receptive to the message. It's very deadly. Um, but what about pop music? Um, well, modern pop music is, again, kind of, it also is very deadly because the modern pop music is full of all kinds of messages. We were talking about the occult earlier. 
I'm not necessarily recommending this website, but it, it does kind of monitor what's going on in popular culture with Lady Gag and, um, and others like her and her message, you know, what she's saying. You know, she says she's a Christian, right? Um, well, I guess by modern definition of Christianity, I guess uh, um, uh, she might have a case, but we don't accept that modern definition of Christianity. So, um, but she, um, but anyway, apart from her, she and all of her, her friends who are into the pop music um, uh, industry, so-called the business, getting rich off of that, are, are very much into the occult. And the website www.vigilantcitizen, I think it's .com if I'm not mistaken, actually tracks this, the, 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 the manifestations of the occult in popular music, just to show <clears throat> that popular music is being used as a vehicle for introducing young people, especially young people, not only young people, but especially young people into the occult. And uh, showing the, the all-seeing eye symbol being used, you know, in the course of these videos they're producing, and any number of other occult signs that they're showing. Um, and, you know, one might say, well, you can really go overboard with this and, you know, read into things. Believe me, by the time you're done uh, looking through, uh, you see that this is no accident. There's something going on here. Um, and, um, and the popular culture, there really is the, the rise of the satanic in there and the purveyance of the satanic, satanic into the minds of the young people through that music. And they're all, they're singing about impurities, perversions, adulteries, etc., fornication. This is just standard fare, you know, in these songs. Um, <clears throat> now, we haven't even talked about voice yet, except to talk about wild, wild, wild. When you, you know, you look at the message that is being conveyed, okay? <clears throat> in rock music, again, it's not good. But even in pop music, too, you add the voice, and the voice is often a moan, a groan, a shriek, a scream. It's a distorted voice. It's like it's like the distortion pedal on the guitar. The voice is distorted. It's almost it's almost diabolical. The voice for which they're they're singing their messages. You know, in the old days, you just hear you know a woman's voice singing, and it was a woman's voice singing a song, and a man's voice singing a song. But now they've got to be shouting, screaming, shrieking the message, right? Or in a hot, heavy breath, you know, breathing into the microphone or something like that, you know? Or again, the, the rap, um, the rap music. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know about that, but anyway, so-called music. <clears throat> I mean, basically a lot of modern music is nothing but sound effects with a dirty message attached. You might as well be banging garbage candles together and be calling it music. Love this stuff, you know. So, and I guess I, I'm surprised we don't have the garbage can band, where people are just banging on garbage cans and making millions of dollars for it. I mean, they could they could get they get all kinds of gigs on these modern uh, these these late night shows, and people would be screaming uh, their adoration of these people because of the way they can bang garbage can lists together. You know? I'm sorry, maybe it sounds like I'm getting sarcastic, but I'm serious. <laughs> this is what you hear these days, and. Um, <clears throat> But, you know, you put all that, these ideas together and you get to then classical music, 
Well, it shows that, that, that there's a lot of classical music that is very beautiful and very edifying and wholesome for the body and the soul because it is very ordered, right? And the elements of music are very well ordered. The melody, the harmony, and chamber of the music, the, the instruments, so on, perfectly ordered, and it inspires the mind. It, 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 it induces a state of rest uh, for the nervous system, you know, it's, it's, it's like refreshing, you know. But there is also <clears throat> modern classical music that is not, <laughs> that is very disturbing again, you know. I mean, you have some of the, the discordant uh, sounds. That, well, I, I think I mentioned once before that we, we had a, a young man come to work at our school years ago as a carpenter, and he uh, uh, he went with uh, our student group down to the symphony one day uh, to accompany them. And when he came back, I asked him, you know, how how the experience was, and he said, "Well, they played some nice pieces that I thought were very very good, and I enjoyed them." And he said, "But you know, they played some modern pieces that sounded like a lot of instruments." bickering with each other. You think of the sound of bickering? If you if you took like the sound of children sitting in the back seat saying, hey, he touched me or he's got his hand on my side of the seat. Are we there yet? You know, <clears throat> constant, constant. And you put that through music. You wanted to voice that through musical instruments. That's what it sounded like. So they were bickering with each other. And I thought, you know, this man is not a philosopher, but he really, he really expressed that in the perfect way. That's exactly what so much of this modern classical music is. It's like these instruments bickering with each other. <clears throat> and it's very distressing. Um, so um, you go to Gregorian chant finally. Gregorian chant is actually the highest form of music. Why? Well, the voices are not distorted. <clears throat> and not only that, the ideas that they're expressing are divine. They're supernaturally beautiful ideas that they're expressing by the Gregorian chant. Uh, divine revelation straight out of sacred scripture. That's what you're expressing in singing Gregorian chant. You know? So the message is as high as it can be. It's prayer to God. Um, that is when we are at our very best, when our minds and our hearts are filled with the knowledge and the love of God, with the thought and the, and the love of God. That is when a human being is the very best he can possibly be. We think of ourselves as thinking, loving beings, right? That's, and we are the better, uh, we are the best we can be when we're thinking the best thoughts and we're loving the best, the greatest good. And that's when we're in prayer. That's when we are the very best that a human being can possibly be when we're in prayer. And when you're expressing it in music, you're only adding to it. No wonder St. Gregory says, he who sings praise twice because you're actually enhancing the prayer uh, by using the music as a means of enabling you to to meditate on it and experience the beauty of it almost as though you're, you're kind of joining the choirs of the angels in heaven and singing the praises of god so but again gregorian chant also meets the requirement for real seriously good music in that not only do you have the voices that are not distorted, they're blended and they're singing supernatural, supernatural truths and supernatural love. 
but the melody absolutely predominates. It is not only melody, but the melody is definitely dominant there, right? In the music itself. And the other elements, um, well, Gregorian chant, plain chant does not have harmony. It doesn't need it, really, right? The voices are all blended together, but that's the nice thing about it, too, is that you have the entire, you might have 200 canons or 200 monks or 200 nuns, you know, in choir singing, and you have some who sing well and some maybe not so well, and you have some who have high-pitched voices and some lower-pitched voices, but they all blend in that. So there's a kind of harmony there, which is unique, you know, um, where you don't have certain pitches that kind of harmonize with each other. The voices themselves blend together. And so you have that there too. And you have, um, ideally you have that. <laughs> Maybe some parish choirs, you don't have the blending too well, but, <laughs> but in, the, in, in the monasteries, uh, you do, you know, you do have that. Just listen to the beautiful recordings of Salem and you, you, that's what you hear. And, um, but, but then also you, you still do also have the, uh, have the rhythm. It's subtle, but it is really there. So all of these things engage the human mind uh, and the human heart and have an effect on the human, uh, human nervous system. In fact, there was a case um, of a religious community. It was actually a cloistered religious community. After Vatican II, they dropped Gregorian chant. And, which was their mainstay day after day for, you know, so many hours a day. They'd sing the seven canonical hours of the divine office. They'd, they'd meet in the, in the church and they'd sing them together. And after they dropped the Gregorian chant, they started dropping members. People, people started dropping out. When they brought back their Gregorian chant, they began to increase. They began to increase. And they found that the Gregorian chant was an essential part of the of the of the health of the community because it brought them all together in the, in the unity of singing god's praises in a beautiful way that really affected them both body and soul in a very healthy way so um we we need to to bring that back but we can't bring it back as a cover for the novus ordo there are those who say well let's bring back gregorian chant within the novus ordo doesn't work you know uh, the modern, it'd be like trying to sing one of Madonna's hits to the tune of Gregorian chant. I mean, it just doesn't work. You can't do that. It would be so, uh, it would be, be awful. It would be sickening, actually. Um, physically, it would make you ill. So, um, no, they, they need to bring back the not only the, the music, but they need to bring back the message that went with the Gregorian chant that grew with it, right? That, that Gregorian chant grew with. Otherwise, you're trying to force a union that, that is impossible. The Novus Ordo is modernism incarnate. And uh, modernism is anti-Catholicism, as St. Pius X made it so clear. It's like the antithesis of true traditional Catholicism, modernism. And there's, there's no way you can harmonize Catholicism and modernism, no matter how hard they're, tr 
you know, the conservative nomosaurs are trying, you cannot do it any more than you could harmonize Gregorian chant with modern lyrics, uh, these modern songs and the message of them. You, you, it's impossible. Okay. It's like trying to make peace between Christ and Belial, as, as scripture says, right? So, um, in any case, Tom, I don't know if you were looking for quite that uh, lengthy uh, an explanation, but, uh, you know, you ask me for an opinion and you're asking for trouble. <laughs> but in this case, I, I'd like to think it's, it's a bit more than opinion. I think yeah. it is something yeah, more I, than opinion involved. I, I think that's definitely an important discussion to have today because this, uh, this modern music, it's everywhere nowadays. Mm -hmm. You can't hardly go anywhere without hearing it, even if you don't want oh, to. Oh, you can't escape it. It's, it's everywhere, and so many younger people, people of my generation, have grown up just completely surrounded by mm -hmm. this newer music. And so, you know, I found a lot of people my age don't even know anything else besides this new music. You when, know, you, when you ask them to give up the rock music, they'll say, what else do I listen to? There's no, there there's is no, no music. There's nothing to listen to. Listen You're to taking it. everything away from you. Yeah. It's sad. Mm -hmm. How did you escape that, by the way? I mean, modern music is calculated to drive men, to drive people insane. Mm -hmm. You seem to you seem to have escaped that pretty well. Uh, I would have to say probably my wife is my uh, my de the uh, oh, insane influence. Oh, there. Well, uh, that's a great blessing, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, that is definitely a great blessing. Yeah. Um, and your Catholic faith. Yes. Uh, but your Catholic faith is what enabled you to find your wife. Exactly, yeah. You valued her, yeah. and you wanted to marry her because mm -hmm. your Catholic faith directed you to her. Definitely. So I I would have to say. Since I'm the one who gave you the marriage instruction, <laughs> and right. she's a product marriage, of your school, <laughs> and she she graduated from my school, right. I'd like to think that, that at least there's one thing that will not be held against. <laughs> I think so. And I I, I trust that uh, you uh, and your wonderful wife and delightful children will at least come to my defense. <laughs> I think so. Father. And I need that. So I say, good. don't condemn him for talking too much or giving too long sermons. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate appreciate your oh, time and your, your insight well, and everything. So. It's mutual. Yep. Thank you. Cool. All right. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time. If I may. Father Jenkins has a question. <laughs> One thing we were talking about mm -hmm. asking here is about the titles of the programs. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And we wanted some input because people, some people have been getting back to us saying, we like your titles. Okay. Some saying we don't. Some mm -hmm. saying it helps us to know what you're going to talk about. Some say it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, what you've titled. So it would be good, perhaps, to uh, to ask people to let us know, sure. give us suggestions on the titling yeah. of the programs if they're helpful or not. Yeah. That being said, Tom, <laughs> I promise you, I will <laughs> let you have the floor Sounds once good. and for all. Once again, thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time. We ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.